0: Good morning. Um, we have Gifton with us this morning, so I'm going to pass it over to Gifton to just briefly introduce himself.
1: So my name is Gifton Noel-Williams. Um, I played professional football from 1996 to 2010. Uh, started for Watford, played for Watford, Stoke City. I was fortunate to play at this wonderful place of the earth, Burnley, uh, for a short space of time. Then I went to Spain, played in Spain, um, came back and played for a few more teams and finished off in America. Um, now coaching and trying to help other ex-pros and, and young men like yourself through their coaching journey and to, to help them develop in many ways. Um, yeah, I don't really, I don't, I'm not really good at talking about myself, so I'm gonna leave it like that for now. Um, but as, as conversations go on, I'll give you a little bit more about the stuff that. I've experienced and, and stuff like that. Okay.
0: I think the biggest question for me is, as a child, what did you actually want to be when you grow up?
1: Um, probably like you guys, um, the only thing I've wanted to do is play football. That was it. Um, when I retired, the only thing I wanted to do was coach football. And every day, all I want to do is be around football. And that's all I want to do. So I was five years old, and this might sound really funny. One of you may have a similar story, but I was five years old. It was Christmas time and everyone was around the Christmas table, and as kids, everyone's running around, little kids running around, and my cousin bought me an Arsenal shirt. Any Arsenal supporters in there? Love you already, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm not gonna pick on you at all today. You're, you're safe in the front row, you're all right in the front row. Love that. So, he bought me an Arsenal shirt, so I had my Arsenal shirt on, and I shouted in front of everyone, I'm gonna be a professional football player. And I shouted really loud, and like, all the family was around the table, and they kind of looked at me like, shut up and, uh, and uh, they told me to go away and I ran off but years later when I made it everyone remembered that day they remembered when I, sh- when I stood up as five years old kid and I was I'm gonna be a professional footballer and at that moment if I'm honest with you all I ever thought about was becoming a professional football everything i had done was to be a professional footballer if I found out that someone was doing running and they're running every evening they're running one mile I'll run and run, run two miles in the evening If I find out someone's doing extras, I want to do more extras than them. I just wanted to be the best. I I didn't want nothing to stop me. And I was lucky in in some ways, because I think in life you need a bit of luck. But with luck and my hard work, I was able to to make my debut when I was 16. So
0: So how did you actually get into playing football? So you said your debut was at 16, so did your Mm. parents push you?
1: All right, so back in the days, my mum, was too busy working. She had a cleaning job in the morning, which I used to wake up and would do with her. I would go to school, she would go to work. In the evening she had another cleaning job and she used to clean toilets basically and I used to help her. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of what we've done. And she never had no time to really drive me because at times the car wouldn't work. She never had petrol to put in the car. So there was no driving. It was, well, you've got 10 pound pocket money for the week. You need it's one pound a day for lunch at school. That gives me about five five pound for the week. If I go Watford training, then that's two pounds. Leaves me three pound for the week. If I go want a drink, oh man, I go and run to training. So what I used to do is I used to run from North London to East London, from Highbury to Hackney, and I used to do run lampposts. And Pierce has heard me talk about this before. Um, I used to run lampposts, and it's kind of sad, but but it was what made me. It made me really fit in the end it made me really really fit and looking back at it i'm glad i've done it so it's kind of probably maybe i don't know 10 miles maybe so i would run one lamppost walk one lamppost run two lampposts, walk one lamppost run three lampposts, walk walk one and i'll do that all to 10 and then do back down and to one again then up to 10 then back down to one again up to 10 back down to one and i'll just do that all the way to training and then after all the kids will get in their mums and dads cars and then I just run back home again, <laughs> the same thing, just do my lampposts again. But it kind of took my mind off the run, I didn't really realise I was running. When I look back at it now and I'm thinking, wow, you was like nine years old, ten years old running, doing that craziness. But I wanted it, it wasn't for my mum, it wasn't for anybody else. I wanted to be a professional footballer and I was going to do whatever it takes. Like Right now I want to be a coach, I want to be a manager, I want to be part of a first team. And I'm doing everything it takes everything it takes to get to where I want to get to. And I will get there, but it will take time. Just like when I was playing, I knew it would take time, but I'd done everything it took to get there. So things were a bit different for me. The having no one to bring me, no one to, to really drive me, no one to tell me, is your kit clean, is your this, that? Cause my mum just said, well, that's what you want to do. So if that's what you want to do, then kind of crack on kind of thing. And she just thought I, think, she thought I was just having a bit of fun until when I was a little bit older and people started coming to my mum's house and telling her that I've got a bit of talent and can I play for this team and that team and Watford came and said they wanted to sign me and stuff like that. Then she started to realise that, oh, like, you're actually quite serious about this. But for me, it was my dream, so i done whatever I could do, because I'm going to say this, it's got nothing to do with Black History Month, but because I'm in front of a bunch of young men, all of you in this room, you're all friends and you all believe that you're going to be friends for the rest of your life. But the honest truth is that in a few years' time, half of you won't talk to each other. And in 10 years' time, you might talk to two people in the room. And when you're my age and you've finished your career, you may have communication with one or two people. What it's really about is yourself. Now, I look back at the people that was like myself and we was kind of self-centered. And I wanted to beat you every day. You wanted to beat me every day. And we pushed each other. And those few of us, they all went on to have careers and to do something in their life. And the ones that kind of just went for the motions, the ones who thought they were pro already, the ones who thought they were there already, the ones who thought, I don't have to train hard today, I can take today off, I can take the warm-up off, I can take the passing drill off. Those ones, they just didn't have a good career in the game. So I'm just putting it out there to you. I don't know you guys, but I'm sure in this group, I'm sure I could split you in half if I spoke to your coaches. There's probably half of you that go above and beyond and half of you that just do enough to get through. Now, the ones who are doing above and beyond, you might not see it now, but in two, three years' time, you'll start to see it. Your bodies will get bigger, your your mind will be fresher, the game will become slower. All those things will happen. The ones who are just doing enough, you'll kind of flitter out the game. So I'm just putting it out there. It's got nothing to do with your question. I'm not looking
0: at anyone. Yeah,
1: yeah I'm, I'm not looking at no one either. I don't know no one. I'm looking at my Arsenal friend. And I know it's not you. I know you're a hard worker. Okay, you're Arsenal supporters. So I'm, I'm looking at you. But it's not no personal. I don't know none of you. I've not been told no no, nothing secrets or nothing like that from no one. Um, it's just it's just the truth. I don't just know where actually. to look now. I'm
0: like... Yeah, who do you look at? Yeah. <laughs> um, so your mum's been a big influence in your life. Mm. Um, Did you have any other role models or people that you aspired to when you were younger?
1: Yeah, so my cousin Michael. So we talk about Black History Month and and role models and things like that. My cousin Michael was the biggest role model for me. My dad died when I was 13. So my dad dying, and it's gonna sound really heartless, but my dad dying was the best thing for me in my football life. Um, He didn't like me to play football and he was against it. But when he passed away, I was able to play football again and able to, to play and I know it sounds really bad because I, I miss my dad and I wish he was still here and I'm sure I would have changed his mind somehow. But by him being passed away, my cousin Michael was, he was my rock, he was the person who took over being my dad, he was, um, he was everything for me. You know, he was, he's passed away, he passed away of cancer a few years ago. But he was, he took over that. I don't know, he, he, he when he was your age, he got signed for Ipswich. And he never had the right advice, he never, there was a lot of, we talk about Black History Month and where racism has gone and where we are right now. Back in the 80s, 70s when he was going through it, things were a bit different and without the lack of with the lack of support and lack of awareness, it was a bit harder for him to make it on his own without the support. So he wanted to make sure that I had everything that he never had, so he was the person that did speak to the clubs. If anyone wanted to sign me, he would speak to them and, he was the main, even when I was, became a pro, if I'm honest with you, because um, <laughs> my dad died at 13, and I've always said this, that there's not a lot of people that can tell me what to do. And I've always had that kind of attitude, you know, because I'm, I'm a big boy. And when I was 13, I was, I was helping my mum out, paying bills. When I was 16, I was paying bills, all my mum's bills. So I've kind of felt like I was kind of a man. But Michael was the only person that could phone me up and say, "Gifton." them go out your house now, do 10 laps around the house, do 10 star jumps and scream, I'm a chicken 10 times. And I probably would have done it. He's the only person that had me like that, you in know, a, in, a, in a real way of, I trusted in everything he said and I trusted in every word he said because he was the only person I think that, he, was af- he wasn't afraid to upset me. Most people didn't want to upset me because, oh, you're doing well in football and everyone was so nice. but. He was happy, he would be well, he would be one person that would say, no, that wasn't good enough, or or what the what you're doing right now, the way you're acting isn't isn't the right way. So because I always trusted in him, he was the only person that could really um, put me in my place and that was my guidance and that was that was my real key and my rock behind my career really. My role model in football um, was Ian Wright. Everyone know Ian Wright? Yeah? yeah? You might just know him as a bald-headed guy with a gold tooth and <laughs> who's always who moaning about football now, but Ian Wright, the reason why I've got a gold tooth is because of Ian Wright. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up, seriously, no, there's no lie, this is dead honest. I've got a gold tooth because of Ian Wright. He was, growing up, he was everything. As an Arsenal fan, so you must know about Ian Wright. And if you don't, you're not a true fan. You must know about him, right? Um, so he was my role model. I wanted to play like him. I wanted to act like him. If I watched football on Saturday and he scored a certain goal, the next week, in the playground, I just want to score that goal. I want to score a goal like that and I'm going to celebrate the way he celebrated. He was my role model. I wanted to play just like him. Now, I can't play just like him. I'm six foot, he's five foot something. So our, our styles are completely different, but by me trying to play like him, I found my own style in football. Now, just on that question, I feel that no player is an original player. We all think we're original, but we're not original. It's all a copy from someone. So. You must have copied from someone when you were younger. You must have looked at someone football-wise and thought, mm, I like the way he runs, I like the way he takes three kicks, I like the way he does this, I like the way he does that. But that's what a role model is. That's all it is. It's someone you look at and you want to copy their behaviours. That's all it is. So you, have more, more, you guys have got so many role models that you probably don't even know. Your big brothers, maybe your big sisters if they played football, your dad, your uncles, a guy that you saw down the road. So many role models that you probably don't even know But So do
0: you think representation is important? So you grew up in, I'm gonna say, London, yes. played for Watford, yes. and then you moved over to like Burnley. You know, talk me through any differences or similarities that you felt or saw.
1: Yeah, I think um, representation, I think it's important and I think it differs with where you are really. So in London where you've got um, a very multicultural um, situation where people live in you got you walk down the street, you got black, white, Asian, wherever, wherever country you're from, you've got that in, in in that in the mix of London. So when you come to clubs, you'd find a, a big mix of, of of those players. So growing up, we had a big mix of most of the players, we played for Watford, most of the, the black lads came from London and most of the white lads came from Watford, Hertfordshire and that's kinda was was just a mix of how they done it. Um, but we got we got on all right. We got on, we got on just fine. It was it was it was good times. I was we grew up in a very diverse culture, so it was normal for us. And we all just just kind of got on. Coming to Stoke was a bit different. Um, just the whole environment and being in the Midlands is a bit different than to being being in London. And then coming to Burnley was was a big culture shock for me. Um, if I'm honest with you, it was it's completely different to to London some of the challenges that I found from from people was a bit different. Um, People's behaviours towards towards us was was a bit different. Um, But I I just feel that the whole whole difference conversation, I think that there's been so much improvements and there's been so much developments. You know, when I was growing up and we used to play up north, there will be some players that you play against and there would be no no black players in their team so if there's no black players in your team and you don't know the culture then ignorance sometimes and ignorance can sometimes lead to saying things that you just don't know about or doing things you just don't know about but I feel that in this day and age through education and through through music, through television through culture, through through all the things you like I bet, I could probably guarantee that all of you guys like the same music-ish, for the most part. Probably two of you that don't, and likes, like music completely left side, but probably most of you like the similar music, and that's kind of a similar culture. If that was my day and age, the black boys and the white boys wouldn't like the same music. The boys from London and the boys from North wouldn't like the same music. I, I will dress differently. So I feel that because of culture and because of life and because of the urban, urban style and urban life now, I do think that it's a generation where it's the racism card and the difference gap, the gap is getting much smaller. And, um, and I applaud you young men because I feel that my generation, the generation before us, they spoke about it, about racism. I think our generation, we've done something about it. And I think your generation are the ones that can fix it. Because I truly believe that it's not only fixed by a black person having a problem. It's not only fixed by an Asian person having a problem it's fixed by all of you having a problem. Does that make sense? So even, no matter which way it is, and I'm not only talking, we're talking about racism because we're talking about Black History Month, but it's talking about difference in general. So no matter what the difference is, whether it's culture, whether it's religion, no matter what the difference is, if you guys stand up together and let people know that it's not acceptable, then you are changing the narrative. Because then your kids will be the same and then their kids will be the same. I've, I've got kids who are your age, now I've grown my kids a certain way. Now they're gonna, when they have kids, they will grow their kids hopefully a certain way. So hopefully I'm making an impact on the generation. Now you guys can do the same thing. Because I think that the more it's spoken about and the more it's accepted that we are the same. We've got different color skin and we have different color hair, different color eyes, different color styles, different color, all kind of stuff. But really and truly, we all bleed, we all got a big heart. And for the most part, we all wanna do good. So. I feel that it's not only a black problem, or a disabled person's problem, or or any 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 type problem. I think it's an us problem, and I think that we are the ones that can that can get through and and make a difference. Mm,
0: Good words. Um, Do you feel like fatherhood changed you as a person? Then
1: (laughs) I got to take a big step for that one. Pierce is laughing. All right. it's a good question, and I could say that yeah, but I didn't. I, the, the real question, the real answer, I don't really know, because um, I went from a kid to an adult overnight. So I had my first child at sixteen. Yeah, so my whole life was very fast. I made my debut at sixteen, just out of school, and I had my first child when I was sixteen as well. It's not something that I'm, I'm highlighting or promoting for you guys to do. It's something that I'm, I'm advising don't do. I got away with it because of my, my backing of my family and I was playing first-team football, so I kind of I got away with it. But I had my first child when I was 16 um, and it was hard. I look back at it now and it was very, very hard. Um, you got to think, think, you guys are 16, 17, yeah? Yeah, so you like to just have your own time by yourself, yeah? Yeah, you like to do your own thing. Yeah, you like to go sleep after training yeah you like to be up until your coaches are not listening but you like to be up to two three two three o'clock playing um uh, was, was it um call of duty <laughs> yeah call of duty that's the one yeah all right um and on your headphones and shouting lad all that kind of stuff yeah i know my my son does all that stuff so i'm sure you guys are doing the similar stuff um but imagine you wanted to do all that stuff but you've got a baby to look after it, Yeah, see, it's not nothing that, it's not nothing to, I'm not promoting it, Um, but for me as a person, if I'm honest with you, on one side, it's the best thing that ever happened to me, because I had to grow up, and I had to grow up very, very quick, and I thank God for my kids, Um, I thank God for all my kids, and I thank God that I was a young dad, only because I'm on the other side now, so my daughter, my oldest daughter is 25, big woman, my son's 23, my other kids go down, and I can have good relationships with my kids and I'm still young. So I've still got, there's a lot of positives coming at the other side of it. But if I wasn't a professional footballer, if I never had the family support and the loving support of the people around me, um, I don't think I would have been able to do it. So it's not something, as I said before, it's not something I'm promoting, but being a dad did, gives me responsibility. Um, all of a sudden, I went from being in school being in school, just worrying about myself, <laughs> to leaving school, and all of a sudden, I go worry about myself, my missus, and now uh, this little precious rock of diamond that just came into my life that I'd probably kill anyone if they ever looked to her, her wrong. And now I've got to look after her as well. And there was a lot of things, I look back on my career, and there was a lot of sleeps. I lost a lot of sleeps. So, a lot of times when I should be, I've been sleeping. I wasn't sleeping, I'm shopping because you're a dad, you have to do these things. And it's, it's one thing that I've spoken to my kids about. None of my kids have got kids, none of my children have got children yet. And it's something that we spoke about a lot, wait till they get a bit older, have their careers in, in motion and get their life in motion and then go into fatherhood. But yeah, to answer your question in a very, I've kind of gone round the houses, but yeah, to answer your question, being a father has matured me. Yeah, it has matured me and it, it showed me something different. I think when you're only worrying about yourself, you're you're almost selfish to a certain degree because you can be selfish. But then when when you're a father, you have everything I think about, I have to think about another two, three, four, five people. So yeah, that does um, change the narrative a bit.
0: Yeah. And naturally through your footballing career, there's always certain setbacks, whether they're injuries or going to a club that you think actually have I made the right decision about. Um, So talk me through like, what does resilience feel like to you and what did it look like?
1: Yeah. did you
0: well,
1: yeah. face any <laughs> I've <got loads>. setbacks? <laughs> I've got loads to tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, so so I, I started the story before when I was talking. When I was 16, I made my debut. Right, so let's roll back, let's roll forward, two and a half years, three years. So three seasons have gone. Um, I'm killing it, by the way. I'm absolutely killing it in the first team. I'm, I'm killing it. Every week I'm in the newspapers. I've got to tell you the truth, it's the truth, I'm being honest. I I'm, I'm normally don't talk of it like that, but it's the truth. Um, I was in the newspapers every week. Um, Arsenal, Arsene Wenger just came to England. Arsene Wenger was after me. Tottenham were going to take me, Newcastle, Wimbledon. I was playing for England at 18s with Michael Owen. He got moved up to the under-21s, so he told the coach that he wants to play with me. So I got moved up to the under-21s. I was flying, like life was just, life was great. I was, I was going to the top. Everyone was telling me I was, I could feel it. I was playing well, I was top goal scorer. And then we played a game against Sunderland in 1999, January. And I just scored probably the best goal I've scored in my life. It was from like a really long throw in. I've chested it and void with my left foot and banged it in. We won the game, we was winning 2-1. Five minutes later, there's been a loose ball that's bouncing up. I've tried to nick it past the defender because I'm in on goal. And you guys will never experience these kind of tackles, but I'm sure the staff in the background know these kind of tackles, so they know. He gave me a two-footed great tackle. So basically, if someone done that on my team, I would have been saying to them, what a tackle, great tackle. <laughs> but I got it done to me. Um, that tackle broke my kneecap, um, broke my kneecap, and that still yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's painful, yeah. Broke my kneecap at the time. Um, Then three days later, um, I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk, I couldn't do that. I couldn't clench a fist. No one knew what happened to me, what's gone wrong. Um, Through blood tests, doctors appointments, all kind of stuff, they found out that I've got, I had rheumatoid arthritis and I've got it in all my body. And they didn't know how I had it. They didn't know how we got it, but I've got it. So um, at that moment, I've just been told now by three or four specialists I have to retire. So could you imagine my head, I've gone from, I'm going to the premiership next season. So at the end of this season, everyone's telling me, this is January, by the way, it's January of that season. And I'm being told in May, I'm gone. I'm going to Newcastle or Wimbledon, or I'm going to Arsenal or or Tottenham. It's the done deal, it's just which club I'm going to. And now I've been told a week later, you're going to have to retire. So that was interesting. Um, being How old were you? 19. Okay. Yes, I was 19 at this time. So being told that basically if you play, you're going to be a cripple by the time you're 40. So you can't play, you must retire. Went to, Graham Taylor had me in a specialist probably every two, every two three days. So I saw maybe 10 specialists in a in the space of two, two, three months. Everyone said the same thing, um, you have to retire. I was fortunate that um, Elton John he saw an article in uh, in Wait, America. The Elton John. Yeah. Elton, <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, yeah. But back, back then we oh, used to like, know. it was
0: out in a footballer. No, no Elton, the Elton John. Yeah, Elton
1: John was um, for anyone who doesn't know the history. Elton John was the like, the chairman, the owner of Watford back then, and he still loves Watford to death. So because obviously I was a Watford player, we used to see Elton all the time. He used to come down and see us. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come down and see after, yeah. um, so, um, so we see him all the time so he was in America and and he saw this article and he told Graham Taylor I've seen this article it's a new drug that apparently can do something for arthritis um, let's try it so he paid for everything the club never had no money so he paid for everything for me paid for all my treatment and basically he saved my career really yeah So um, and after that my career was never the same, I was never the same. Um you couldn't really move, I couldn't really train no more. Like I don't know, people at Burnley might tell you stories of me not training, I don't know, but if, if you hear any stories of saying that I never used to train, it's quite true, I never used to train. Um I was just it was just play, recover, play, wrap yourself up, recover, play, wrap yourself up, recover. And if I could if I had a good couple of good days then I would try and train. But um yeah, so that was my career basically from 20 to 30, was just wrapping myself up to see if I can get another game in. So within that, I kind of said it as it was just, he's like, it was a walk in the park, but there's a lot of hard times. You know, there's, you guys are probably going to go through some stuff during your career, when someone's going to tell you something you don't want to hear. So some of you may get told you're being released. Some of you may be told you're not getting a pro contract. Some of you may be told all kinds of other stuff and you're going to hear this as your career goes on. It's about being strong, I feel. Um, you know, I think that one person or well, 10 people told me that I have to retire, but the 11th person told me that I can have a career. So it depends with you guys. If you get released by Burnley, if 10 people tell you that you can't go a contract, are you going to go for the 11th person and try and get a contract somewhere else or are you going to give up? You know, if you get injured, are you gonna let your life, your life just go away because you're injured or are you gonna bounce back? You know, I was injured for the, that one. My knee was a year and a half. I've, had, I've done my ACL. I've had a couple of groin operations. You guys will experience some of this in your career um, because um, that's just part of football, but you have to be strong and you have to, as I said before at the beginning, I said when I was five years old, I wanna be a professional footballer. And there's nothing else more important to me than that, as for me. So, and if I didn't make it as, a, as a professional footballer, I would have become a coach when I was much younger, because football's that's all I know. So, um, so yeah, that's my little bit of resilience there.
0: Early on, you said something about your, the best goal you ever scored. And I was going to say, no, the best goals you ever scored must be your hat-trick, because apparently, you scored your first ever hat-trick at Burnley. How did my that go hat-trick. down? I only hat-trick. I only scored one, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that that was beautiful. Focus that exact that idea. Um, well, my time at Burnley. That's another point. Resilience. That's that's actually a good story for resilience as well. My time at Burnley wasn't the best time of my life, if I'm honest with you. Um, the manager at the time and me didn't really get on. Um, he never understood my Rice, and he yeah. So we had a little couple of debates about ice baths and and and, and stuff like that. So. Um, it just didn't really click. But one of my best moments was at this club on that pitch and it was against Barnsley. It's funny because that game, I was, I was out in the cold. Um, me and Steve Cottrell wasn't really getting on. Um, I was out in the cold, I wasn't involved in the 18. I was just training, wrapping myself up, training, just not playing at all. So this game here, someone got sick, someone got sick. So I, I came to the game to watch the game. as players do, the extra players, as normal. So I came to do that. And then I got told Branchi was sick. So the gaffer wanted me to be on the bench. So I was like, okay, I'll go on the bench. So I was on the bench and within 20 minutes, we was 2-0 down and someone got injured, one of the strikers got injured. I can't remember who got injured, but someone got injured. So I had to go on. So yeah, so he put me on. I was quite surprised I went on, but he put me on. And I scored my only ever hat-trick Outside there, it was a great moment of my life. Yeah, I must, I must admit, that was it wasn't my best goal, I was scored, but it was the greatest moment. Yeah, to score a hat um, it's the only hat trick I ever scored in my life. And yeah, it's only one, but at least I got one. So I, I love the one. I love the one.
0: You mentioned that you, you really want to be a first team coach. So, what does the coaching opportunity or the landscape currently look like?
1: It doesn't look good, <laughs> if I'm honest with you.
0: I don't want to quote you, but I did find a quote online where you talk about um, unconscious bias yeah. and the coaching system. Yeah. It's quite controversial, but let's open it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I do believe that there is a, a unconscious bias. Um, I believe that there's a lot of people that are qualified that maybe... Well, I talk about myself. I won't talk about other people. Let me talk about myself. I'm qualified. I've got the experience of of life. Um, I've got the experience of young young people. I've got the experience of of playing football. I've got the experience of playing in different countries. I've got the experience of handling coaches. Um, I've got the experience of developing players. Um, but I still can't get a job, even as a under 18s coach. So. I have to look at that and look at unconscious bias because there's people that are getting the jobs who have not got the playing experience that I've got. Um, I've got, right now I'm doing my pro license, so that'll be the highest badge. But there's people that have like a B license and will get the job over me. Um, I've been told so many different excuses from, a coach is, has done an audit before So because this coach has done an audit before, they're going to give him the job because they're going through an audit. Um, I've been at so many different, I've I've been told that they're going for someone younger, who's fresh. I've been told so many different excuses and I do believe there is unconscious bias. But me complaining about one thing is one thing, but also I think there's solutions. Because I think that with education and with people getting to know people, that's the key. Because if you don't know me, and I just come to you and I try to give you some form of information, you might not take that on, you don't know me from nowhere. But if you know me and you get to know me a little bit and I give you some information, you might take it on. So that's just in life, I believe. So I think think that black coaches, myself, and it's what I've been doing, basically, is getting to know people. Getting to know people. If you know me, then you can judge me properly. If you know my character, you know how I stand for life, what I'm about. You know what qualifications I've got, you know what I stand for. Then if I go for an interview and I don't get the interview, I don't mind, because then it's been a it's been an even stand. So that's something that I'm working on in the background um, with the PFA, just to how do you get rid of that unconscious bias? Because we all have it. All right, we all have it. And don't don't you ever believe you don't have it. All right? Even and I have it, and yes. under
0: equality, diversity and yes, inclusion have it as lead. Well.
1: I have it as well. And the reason why, and I'm going to give you an example, and I say this to a lot of people, and sometimes it causes a bit of controversy, but I'm going to, we're being open. If two old ladies were walking down the street, and you have a black old lady, and you had a white old lady, and they both fell down at the same time, and their shopping thing, who would you pick first? Whose shopping would you pick up first? You don't have to answer, I don't want you to answer. I'll give you my answer. I would pick up the black lady's purse first. If they were both not injured, if one was more injured than the other, I'd pick up the one who was mostly injured. If they were both, if they both just dropped their bags and the food went in the same place, I would pick up the black lady's first, you know why? Because when I see that black lady dropping a bag, I think of my grandma, I think of my mum. So that's the first thing that triggers in my head. I need to fix her first. I'm still gonna help the white lady and I'll still help both of them, but that is my unconscious bias. Do you understand what unconscious bias is? Yeah? So that's, that's, that's for me. And that's, so it does exist. It's not like it doesn't exist. We all have it. We all have it. I guarantee if you two walk down the street right now and you saw two different pictures or two different people, you, based on your life and, and how you've grown up and that, you'll make an assumption right there and then on those two people. It's unconscious bias, you can't help it. Now, I feel that the way you get rid of unconscious bias is by getting to know someone. If you get to know me now, all that unconscious bias goes out the window. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of make sense? So I think it's it's, it's stepping stones. I think, um, as I said before, the generation before, they spoke about it. Didn't do nothing about it, Mm -hmm. but they spoke about it. I feel that my generation, people like myself, I'm willing to sacrifice my own career so that someone else behind me can have a career, if that makes sense. So I don't mind talking about it, upsetting some people if that's what I've got to do. If I don't get the job, that's fine. There'll be someone who's very good behind me that could come through, because I feel that that's how how change happens sometimes. The person that makes the most noise don't necessarily get the job, or it's someone else maybe that comes through and, and it happens for them. So I'm talking about stuff, but not in an angry way. It's, it's not. I'm not. In, I'm not angry about it. It's life, and I feel that through education and through conversations, that's how you can change it. But if you don't talk to people, then you can't change nothing. So that's, that's
0: conversations. Ultimately, give you perspectives, and you know sometimes your perspective is different to other people's. But you'll always find common ground, even if you are having an argument with someone. Deep down, like if everyone's ever argued with a parent and you know they're right, but you're still there, like trying to stand your ground. Like, that's still your common ground because you know you might be in the wrong. Um, but, you know, having these open conversations offers you that perspective and it is a proactive thought. Um, I want to just close up and just talk about. You know, you said, talking about what you believe in and what you stand for, and even if that means sacrificing X, Y, Z, um, but let's look at it in a bit more of a positive light. So, you know, the newer generation, so your Marcus Rashford's really advocating for things that they believe in and things that they might have firsthand been impacted by. You know, what can future athletes do in terms of advocacy and sticking up for what they believe in?
1: Um, I'm a, you've got Marcus Rashford. And Marcus is on a national, international platform where he can touch the world, basically. Um, and I think the platform that he's got, with what he's doing, I think he's great. But I don't think you get a million of Marcus Rashford's. But I think there's a million of us, just normal people. And I think that that's how we make change. <laughs> sorry, <coughs> sorry. That's how you make change, as in, I, I can't influence the whole world, but I've got my own little section. So where, where, I'm, where, I'm live, where I live, not where I'm from, where I live in St Albans, that area, and a bit of North London, I've got projects going on that we help. We help people that um, can't afford can't afford football. We, we give free places for kids for camps. We we give them meals. We we help kids who haven't got kits. We buy them uniforms so that they can come to training dressed dressed okay. I'm doing things in my, little, in my little corner to help those that are around me because I'm not Marcus Rashford. So if I went and said to everyone, I want to do this, who's going to listen? There might be a few people, few thousand people may listen, but that's it. So I'm trying to do my little thing in my corner. And what I'm trying to say to everyone else is, if everyone does their little thing in their little corner, then sooner or later we'll all meet up together. If that makes sense, yeah? It's like a puzzle, yeah? A puzzle. A puzzle is a one big picture. And that big picture of the puzzle, that's the bigger picture of it being a better world where people help each other, where we help the young people, the young people that don't have nothing, we give them just the right support. All these, all, these, all these things that we want to do. But one person can't do it by themselves. But I think if we're like a puzzle, I've got my little section I'm doing. I know that I've got other friends that I played with, other ex-professionals. They've got little, their little projects going on. And I feel that if everyone just keeps on doing it sooner or later, we'll fill that picture of the puzzle. And then we'll have people like Marcus Rashford be like one big piece in the puzzle. And there will be all the little pieces around the outside. Does that kind of make sense? So that's how I kind of see it myself. I feel that the big effort that Marcus is doing, I think it's fantastic. And I think he's, he's realised that he's got a voice and he's got a platform where people listen. And I have to, if I ever meet him, and I'm sure I will soon, one day, i, I would shake his hand and amend him for what he's doing. But don't just think because you're not Marcus Rashford, you can't do nothing. That makes sense, yeah? You can, you can do stuff, even you guys, as yourself, you can do stuff. I'm sure you're all from an area, maybe it might, it might be a posh area, it might not be a posh area. If it's, if it's an area that has loads of money, then maybe they might not need help so much. But if you're from an area where, like myself, a lot of poverty, a lot of, there's a kid like yourself that, that maybe needs some form of help. What can you set up as a young person right now with a couple of friends, so that you're helping some people in your local area? Can you get boots for them? Could you get clothes for some young people so they could play football? Could you get sponsorships so some young people could get academy training? There's loads of things that you can do and it doesn't have to be massive. When I was playing, I thought that everything had to be massive. Had to be a big agenda, had to be a big thing. Now that I've retired, I've realised just all those little things just add up to be something really big, so. That's the answer, that's the answer to that.
0: Yeah. Some final words for me. You also don't have to be a first team player to make a first team difference. So if any of you have any ideas or you know want to push for something, like come find me or come approach Helen and um, Ian. Um, I'm sure we can figure stuff out. Um, so you know, one of the reasons why I called you over here today, Gifton, was it is Black History Month, and over in the UK it's celebrated in October. Um, the, the the big theme is proud to be. I'm going to let you elaborate on proud to be and why Black History Month is more than a month.
1: Yeah, um, for me, I'm proud to be black. Um, I'm proud to be black because, and the reason why I say it the way I say it, I don't walk around the, the streets every day saying I'm proud to be black. I think people can see by my smile, I'm proud and I'm happy and I'm a happy person. I'm proud to be black because I think if you just look at history and you look at what was perceived as history, some of the history that I grew up with, I've realized that necessarily wasn't true. So if you look at when England was being built, a lot of black people came and helped London, especially London, to get built. London wouldn't have got built the way it is with the undergrounds and all the stuff if it wasn't the Windrush. There's other things that happened, and I'm I'm proud of those things. I'm really, really proud of my culture, and I feel that it's something that as a black person, we should be proud, and we should be proud of all of the great people that have come before us and done some wonderful things um, when I really search black history and I look at some of the things that have been invented by black people that I never even knew I think the light bulb light bulb the light bulb from what or something was invented there 's a the, the um, elevators there 's a bundle of other stuff that was invented. And I've, I just never knew this growing up, if I'm honest with you. So it's kind of, I'm proud. I'm proud of what what black people have done. I'm proud of what we've tried to do since we've come into this country. Um, but most importantly, I'm proud of, of life, if I'm honest truth. And I'm proud of where it's come. Because Black History Month before was just, we do loads of things for the month and then that'll be it for another 11 months and then we pick it back up again. But I feel that now because of culture and because of life, because of doing things like this, some you boys are, are learning about, about other things in life that maybe you'd had no interest in. So I think that it's a really, really thing. It's not something just to do for now. I think it's something that black, white, Asian, whatever the cultures are in your changing room around you, try and learn about those cultures. So no matter where you're from, try and learn about it. So if someone's from Ireland, when I played, I had a, lot, a few Irish players playing for me. And I love Ireland, I love Irish players. And I love the Irish culture. And I never ever thought I would like the Irish culture when I was younger. But through me playing with, with some Irish players, I really love the Irish culture. And I had to realize that Irish and black people are quite similar. <laughs> it was quite funny to learn that, to learn that because I never, ever would have thought that before. And um, th- th- our cultures are quite similar, the way we are with our parents and, and family and, and stuff like that. So it was actually quite... I learned a lot from them about their culture. So I think if you guys want to learn about other people's cultures, ask questions. Ask questions and, and be open to, 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 to answer those questions. I tell you what, the, the amount of lessons I've learned and the amount of things I've learned from football is just beyond football, life lessons. You know, life, life, life lessons that, no matter what I do in life, I take those principles with me. And they, they're with me all the time. And I, I, so what you're saying there about looking yourself in the mirror, Piers will tell you that, I always say that one, and I always say that, the only person you can't lie to is yourself. So every morning, every afternoon, look yourself in the mirror. You can't lie to yourself. You can lie to me. Me and you could have a conversation right now, and you could say, Gif, I swear, give. I'm give, I gave 100%, I swear I did. And if I just do that and there's a mirror there, you can't say to yourself. You can't, because you're an idiot. Why are you gonna lie to yourself? That's silly, isn't it? When you think about it properly, yeah? You can't lie to yourself. So look at yourself in the mirror and be honest. And if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I've done, I've done that, what I should do, what's expected of me, and actually I've actually done more than that today, then it's time to leave, you can leave the club for the day. If not yourself back in the gym for half an hour. Go for a run for half an hour. Do something, do whatever you're meant to do. Do something that will make you get to that point. Because you might not realise this and it's, I'll, I'll end on this because I don't want to start preaching and you switch off. Um, there's a bunch of kids right now that are playing, are playing in a championship club that I wish they were where you are right now. And they're thinking, I'm going to work hard because if they work hard, Burnley might sign me. There's a bunch of youngsters under 16s right now looking above thinking, them 17s, 18s, that striker or that midfielder, I'm going to be better than him in a year. So I'm going to stop him from getting his pro contract because they're going to want to give me the pro contract. Now I know that when I made it, a few people got released. There a few strikers that got released when I made it because I was 16. So if I'm 16 playing the first team, that means the 19-year-old striker, the 18-year-old striker, the 17, they didn't need them no more. So they got released because of me. So I'm just putting that out there. I don't think I have to say anymore, I'm just putting it out there, leaving it to you, all right? So just keep working hard and I wish you all the best.